Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. You're listening to a special game day football podcast marking the one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the United States after police officer Derek Chauvin had knelt on his neck for a full 9 minutes and 29 seconds. I'm Hugh Wozencroft and over the next hour or so I'll look back on a year that sparked conversation, introspection and hope. I'll also ask, what's next? To mark the time, the 9 minutes and 29 seconds that his life was ebbing away, you'll hear the recollections of nine black and mixed heritage people being asked nine simple questions about sports and society. This is 9 to 9, a special game day podcast. 987 killed uh, a citizen in front of a Chicago uh, store. He just pretty much just killed this guy that wasn't resisting arrest. He had his knee on the dude's neck the whole time. Officer 987, the man went uh, went stop breathing. Murderers, bro. Y'all murderers. This is what those officers took. Chiana does not have a father. He will never see her grow up graduate he will never walk down the aisle the death of george floyd took place thousands of miles away in another country under another jurisdiction and yet we simply cannot ignore the depth of emotion that has been triggered by that spectacle of a black man losing his life at the hands of the police in this country and around the world his dying words I can't breathe, have awakened an anger and a widespread and incontrovertible, undeniable feeling of injustice. On May 25th of 2020, Mr. Derek Chauvin betrayed this badge. You will learn that he was well aware that Mr. Floyd was unarmed, that Mr. Floyd had not threatened anyone. You will learn what happened in that nine minutes and 29 seconds. The most important numbers you will hear in this trial are nine to nine. Question one. A year on, what are your reflections of the murder of George Floyd? The former England striker, Emil Heskey. I think my feelings are the same as when when we first saw it. Um, Disgust, hurt, fear, scared. Because again, it's someone that looked like myself. And these are realities that could happen to anyone, any one of us that looks similar to George Floyd. Here's the former England striker, Darren Bent. Anger, when you first seen it. Um, but it wasn't nothing new in terms of we'd seen it before. I dread to think if that camera phone wasn't there, would we have got the reaction that it has caused? As I said, he, he wasn't the first. We've seen a number of incidents before. Of course, just as important, 
but not getting the limelight or people speaking about it as they did with the George Floyd incident. Now, I don't know if it was because it was a policeman that did it in terms of, and the camera phone was there and we call it, but certainly that seems to have impacted a lot what's gone on in the last year. Here are the views of the former England striker, Leanne Sanderson. I was living in America at the time. I was living in Los Angeles and it still feels, you know, the same as it did then. It's still hard to watch the video. It's still hard to listen, you know, but I think... The, the fact that something so serious had to happen for people to wake up. I think a lot of people have learned a lot in the last year and it's just a shame that it's taken the murdering of an innocent person to, for that to be the case. But I do think it's made a lot of people wake up and see what it is to walk a day in the life of a black person in society. Because I'm not quite sure people fully understood what that meant then. Darren Lewis is the Mirror newspaper's assistant editor. I remember seeing the video and the first thing that struck me was that I couldn't watch all of it. To this day, I've never watched all of the video. I still find it too hard to see another black man being slowly killed. And it's even more distressing to know that people were so readily able to watch it again and again. And actually my recollection of the video showing on a loop last year, hour after hour, was quite, um, yeah, that, that was quite something as well. So my feelings are split into two. My feeling about George Floyd, because I, I have a feeling that a lot of people remember the fallout and I think too few people remember a black man who died because a police officer wanted to exert his power instead of listening to what the black man was saying to him. A former Aston Villa defender, Curtis Davis. A year on, Unfortunately, through George Floyd's death, it's it sent waves around the world. And unfortunately, in his death, he's been a pioneer for for social injustice and and trying to to get people on a level playing field. Troy Townsend is head of development at Kick It Out. Twelve months. I still can't believe we're here because the conversation is so fresh. You know, it's so you know when things stick in your mind and stick in your memory. It's almost like you. I remember where I was when you know the death was announced and the circumstances around the death and the in-depth detail that it went into. And I struggle to to you know watch it all again. So watch George's life ebb away in the manner that it did. Um, I'm not good with things like that, but there's a power behind it and there's a strength behind it that has grown, that has amplified voices of black people that have given us the opportunity to talk about our experiences where many were not listening in the past, to be totally honest. And and for me, it, it's proved the power of our voice. It's proved the collective nature of us sharing our experiences. It's It's enabled many to, to walk the same path as such, you know, and everything that we do, everything that we do, and particularly around the topic of the black experience is, is not only about educating, but it's also about empowering as well and empowering our young people. Um, and what I have seen is the growth of our young people, our creative young people in George's death, there's been a growth and you'd never want to see someone lose their life for that reason. But, you know, we are where we are and, and I think we have lots to thank him for, although, There'll be those on the other side who will say that he was a criminal and he deserved everything that he got. And why are we lauding someone like that? But, you know, that's the probably the challenge, the big challenge that we'll continue to have as we move forward. 
Good evening, everyone. We're coming on the air with the latest on the wave of protests and uh, unrest taking place at this hour across the country. Outrage at the death of George Floyd, an African-American man while in police custody in Minneapolis nearly a week ago. London, Manchester, Cardiff, Leicester and Sheffield were some of the places that saw the Black Lives Matter protests following the killing of George Floyd in the U.S. city of Minneapolis last month. Question two. What's the impact of the Black Lives Matter protests that we saw around the world? Sport journalist and broadcaster Anne-Marie Batson's thoughts. I've got to say, it's an absolutely historic moment in my lifetime, and I haven't been on this earth for that long, but it was so empowering, not just to see the protests that were happening in North America, but here and around the world as well. I can't remember a time where something as, as tragic and as horrific as the murder of George Floyd empowered people to get out and voice their unhappiness, their anger, their frustration. TalkSport and Channel 4 broadcaster Jordan Jarrett-Brien was one of those who attended the protests. I just felt that I needed to do something to show my solidarity with other people who I think were feeling very, very hurt and in pain. And the word that I think if you, <laughs> the most used word was probably tired. You know, I think a lot of us were just tired. And I think that I wanted to go along to just show in my small way, I'm tired of seeing black people murdered with impunity. The impact of those marches, I just think was for me personally, I just wanted to just do something. I don't know if what I, people say, oh, March isn't, doesn't achieve anything, but I just feel like I need to do something, some level of closure for me to do my bit um, in, in what was a series of horrific murders of, of black men and women across the, the States and here in the UK at that time. Initially, I had a real sense of optimism around them. I saw pictures of the protests in lots of different countries. There was a sense that it was gaining a real momentum. And it was very much lowercase BLM. It was a truism. It was a mantra. It was something that people were really taking on board. But what became clear eventually was that there were people who were uncomfortable with it and wanted to conflate it with politics. And ever since then, have been totally unprepared to accept that it has nothing to do with politics and everything to do with social justice. Equality, your right to live, my right to live, our right to live on, on a par, not better than, not worse than, just on a level playing field as somebody who is a different colour to us. Now, the interesting thing about the whole Black Lives Matter thing is that what we saw in football was an initial willingness to embrace it. And then the football went from embracing it to being afraid to say the word black and being able uh, and tying itself up in knots. The Football League, I'm, I'll be honest and say it, this ludicrous not today or any day slogan is just nonsense. I think a year on, when you look at the lack of representation at the top of the English game, zero black men on the FA board, zero black men on the boards of the competitions that we play in our professional game here in England. Obviously it's twofold. It's the collective, you know, it's the empowerment, it's the people from all walks of life coming together and, and kind of standing up for their beliefs and their rights and the masses had seen enough, had done it, you know, and, and, and wanted to be very, very vocal in their kind of 
their expression, you know, in a way that when was the last time we'd seen that, particularly in, in our country, or whether the last time we've seen that as a global standpoint. But then there's the other side, the side where obviously people have used it to condemn. People have used it to, to change the tone, change the narrative, change the language, and create this them and us kind of scenario, you know, the, the black people having too much power, the black people deciding who gave them the right to decide what's right and wrong. And just the whole conversation being kind of turned into something that is always, always seen as, as a them and us, you know, and that's not what I don't think anyone that was in this space tried to create. They tried to create, we tried to create a solidarity, you know, in, in, in regards to our experiences. And maybe the people that we didn't pull along in that solidarity are people that are core of the issues that we have. And I think we'll have a battle and challenge continuing to address those with people like that. My God, let's just stop the politics. Let's get the politics out of the way here and actually just, one, get back to kicking the ball around. I quite like it when you do that. I don't like to know what your politics is. What are your feelings about those who say that Black Lives Matter is a racist, divisive statement? It's quite ignorant because the, the, the way I kind of feel about it in terms of is that we, we're not saying that black lives are more important than anyone else's lives, but for too long, black lives haven't mattered. For black people to get justice, certainly in this country, in, in America and all around the world, it was so stacked heavily against them that they, they, we never could get justice. And even, and listen, I'm no, I'm no fool. Even today, it still is quite prevalent in terms of justice, in, in terms of getting a job or... It, it's, it's difficult. It's still difficult. I know a lot of people are making a lot of noise, which is, is good because we are having this conversation. But I think that's where the ignorant people just didn't want change because you're saying, listen, black lives matter. But we're not saying black lives matter any more than anyone else's lives. Of course, we're not saying that. But we're saying there was a long period of time and even so much in today's society where black lives haven't mattered as much. So for me, the people that say that is ignorance. I remember when people were a small percentage, to be clear, of people broke away from the protests last summer, the largely peaceful protests, which included people of all races. And there was some disorder in central London and people pointed to that and called them hooligans. And subsequently people protesting took the dignified step of the knee and they were still condemned. And what that told me is that for many people, there is no protest that will be acceptable to them. Everybody knows the history of the knee going right back to Martin Luther King. And before that, the history of it as being a dignified way of protesting. And there are still people who are not having it because they don't want equality. They say they do, they claim they do, but if you can be upset at people taking the knee, then that says more about you than them. I think it's it's understanding the context. The general answer to Black Lives Matter, it's, well, all lives matter. That's kind of what you get back. But it's not a case of only Black Lives Matter. I think that's the key to it. It's not only Black Lives Matter. The point of, of the movement was that, you know, all lives do matter, yes. But at this moment, we're saying black lives matter as much as everyone else's lives. It's not saying they matter more, but they don't matter any less than anyone else's life. This is sports journalist Natasha Henry. How is it divisive? Because to me, division is saying you don't matter or you're irrelevant. We're not saying you don't matter or you're irrelevant. We're saying we matter. We're saying we need you to appreciate to notice 
how much we matter and we need you to join us in the in the battle to make everyone's lives treated on an equal level playing field it wouldn't matter what it was i'll be totally honest with you anything that has the term black in it like i said to you and it's about empowerment is deemed as a negative you know remember our the, the taught experiences that that many have had is around black people and slavery it's around the conversation that we are not as we are not on the same platform as our white counterparts it's about the belittlement of black people and knowing their space knowing their place in this world and knowing that really and truthfully you know black people don't run this world so some of those people you're never going to change that mindset and that attitude they're set in their ways they're they are educated and we can't say that they're not but they've been educated differently to those that that look at people as genuine rather than based on the color of someone's skin or their sexuality or you know their background so it's a very hard conversation to have and we can use education as the easiest form but some people won't want to be educated by the likes of me and you some people would have been educated and would have had their empowerment you know, grown on, on social media platforms, the new wave of social media, grown on our TV screens, grown on by politicians, grown by just the very conversations that, that their circle of friends do not include black people, brown people. And I don't have an issue with that, but just respect us for who we are, you know? And I think that is the main thing is, is that element of respect, you know, for another human being. And if we can't do that, then we're probably starting at base zero, ground one, in regards to this conversation, rather than with people who, you know, maybe don't want to share the same kind of conversation, but at least respect the people that are having the conversation. Nine people, nine questions. A year on from the murder of George Floyd. This is TalkSport, up next, what has the impact been of taking the knee in football? It was good because in terms of, listen, we know how much footballers to kids are role models and how much kids are like, do you know, I mean, look up to footballers, they love them, they're their idols. Now, the fact that you're seeing one of your idols taking the knee, at least it starts to bring conversation. How many mothers have to cry? How many brothers gotta die? How many more times? This is 9 to 9 on TalkSport with myself, Hugh Wozencroft, a year since the murder of George Floyd. In the months that followed, mass demonstrations against social injustice took place around the world. And those in sport took the decision to play their part. Look at this. A powerful image to show football's social conscience as all of the players take the knee. The referee did as well. Question 4. What was the significance of seeing players take a knee in English football? Here's what the Mirror newspaper's assistant editor, Darren Lewis, thought. I remember that game because I tweeted about it. Um, the gesture at the first, that they did particularly well to keep it very quiet, that they were going to do it. And when they did it, it was... The word that comes to mind is electrifying, really, because it was a really powerful, understated, but powerful statement that they made at that point which made it an impact, a huge impact. We know in America, all of the debates and the controversy overtaken the knee, but here in the UK, 
the players doing it. Everyone accepted they had to do it. I think football realised they had to allow players to express themselves as well because individual players had decided that they were going to do something no matter what, no matter what the consequences, no matter who was upset about it, they were going to have their say, and rightly so. But when they did it as a collective, it was terrific. And when they continued doing that, it was terrific too. I'm glad they've continued to do it despite what people are saying because we still do have a racism crisis in our game, a representation crisis in our game. We've seen since we've had the social media boycott, a flurry of cases to underline the fact that English football is riven with ideologies and viewpoints and ways of interacting that are outdated. And it still has an issue with that. Football still has an issue with that. Derby County defender Curtis Davis was one of those who took a knee. I think it was a just a powerful statement. I think as footballers, as sportsmen, as, as high-profile people, shall we say, to take that stand as a collective, I think was very powerful, you know, for the people at home that don't haven't really maybe educated themselves enough on it. Um, they then might go Google why are players taking the knee and it might come up and then they might learn a little bit more about everything that's been going on, the social injustice and and, and the racism that that continues to, to go throughout society today. Some have chosen to take a knee, some, some haven't, but I think the collective is the same. It's it's we all believe in, in one goal in terms of, you know, I'm mixed race, I'm half black, I'm half white. But it should be that my dad can walk into the same room as my mum and they're treated as equals. And I think that's what we're working towards. The former England striker Emil Heskey. The significance was, again, for the players' side of things, is, was bringing to the forefront something that they've had grown up with, they understand, and a lot of the, obviously a lot of the black players understand and wanted to, to bring to the light again. Within football, we, we're told to just get on with things. But no, you don't just get on with things when your life is at risk. Um, when you look at the, in America, there's, there was players that were genuinely scared to leave their house. You're talking about f- professional football players. Afraid to leave their house because they don't know if they're actually going to come home. That is, that is crazy. Here's the former Aston Villa and Sunderland striker, Darren Bent. It was good because in terms of, listen, we know how much footballers to kids are role models and how much kids are like, you know, I mean, look up to footballers. They love them. They're their idols. Now, the fact that you're seeing one of your idols taking the knee, at least it starts to bring conversation because kids will see their their heroes like the Marcus Rashfords, the you know, I mean, the Raheem Sterlings taking the knee on other players. And it doesn't have to be black players, to be fair. It could be the white players as well. And kids will, will speak to their parents and go, well, why are they taking the knee? And that gives everybody a chance to kind of educate. And I think that's where it's really important. Like, I'm, I'm one of them where I get it in terms of, I need to see something else now. We've been taking the knee now and it's almost lost some of its impact for me personally because I think now we're seeing some players forget to do it. We're seeing other players go, oh yeah, we've got got to get down, we've got to take the knee. I think some of that punch has been missed but the fact that the players are still doing it, it just brings up conversation. Here's the sports journalist and broadcaster Anne-Marie Batson. It was a real moment for me, a real moment, a show of, of solidarity, using the power of football. Bear in mind the Premier League is beamed around the world. It is a huge global platform and you have players of the Premier League and the Championship standing in solidarity to promote this message. 
And from what I understood, it was meant to be on the shirts for the first half of the season. And then it was replaced by the Premier League's own campaign, No Room for Racism. I just thought it was it was such a moment. Again, going back to that point about seeing the protests all around the world. How significant was that? And seeing all the Premier League players wanting to use their voice and tackle this ugly issue of racism. Here's what Leanne Sanderson thought. I think the significance of, of seeing people, players take a knee, I think, you know, a lot of people can turn around and say, well, is it working? Should we continue to do it? I actually think it's quite good. I really do. I think when I see people taking a knee, when I see the players putting their hands in the air, you know, um, it makes me feel like everybody's united in understanding. And now it's become almost like, you know, a routine every single game. And I do actually think there has been a lot of change. I have since changed myself. You know, I've been around football for a long enough now to see when things are changing. And I think it's quite powerful. But as I said, for the players that don't want to, I completely understand that as well. But what I don't want to see is, let's say, eight white players on a team decided they were just going to stand and the black players were the only ones kneeling. I think we would turn around and say, well, those players are racist for standing. Do you know what I mean? And that would build a divide as well. And that's something I didn't want to see and I don't want to see happening. I understand this sense of frustration and restlessness, which is driving the Black Lives Matters movement. I've got to say on this taking the knee thing, which I don't know, maybe it's got a broader history, but it seems to be taken from the Game of Thrones. It feels to me like a symbol of subjugation and subordination rather than one of liberation and emancipation. Take the knee for two people, the Queen and, and the Mrs. when I asked her to marry them. As we prepare to get ourselves underway, they're going to have to wait that little bit longer because, as we now know, customary up and down the lands that respects are paid. And they take the knee. Adverse reaction from the Millwall fans. Wow. That is not good at all. Questions will be asked about that for sure. That's an absolute shocker. It would have been going so well. Question five. How does it make you feel to hear fans boo the taking of the knee? Troy Townsend is head of development at Kick It Out and father of Crystal Palace winger Andros. Hurt. Quite simply hurt. Embarrassed for the game. Embarrassed for the players. But an absolute pain. I've got to be honest, it's, it's a pain because it shows that no matter what message we send, no matter what we're trying to achieve, no matter how we, what, no matter what way we present that conversation, there are going to be many that are going to stick to what they know. And as far as they're concerned, it's a it's a Marxist kind of salute almost, you know. And I, I just can't see those people changing their attitudes, you know. I can't see those people wanting to sit down, listen, understand and appreciate. I just can't see it. It's quite simply, it's hurt. It, it, it's absolute hurt because... Those people are not new fans, by the way. They've probably been rubbing shoulders with many, many a black person in a stadium anyway. Or cheering on their black players of their football team whilst saying if they do anything that has what they deem as a political status behind it, they know what they want to achieve, you know? So hurt would be the easiest phrase. For me personally, it's not a political statement. When I've taken the knee, it's to support those people that you know, social injustice and, and people that have lost their lives because of social injustice and, and trying to raise awareness of it. And listen, in our country, we're, we're, I'm, sorry, we're lucky in the fact that we don't have policemen that carry guns. So if I were to be in America 
and I heard this happening and I wonder, you know, I live in a, in a nice area of Birmingham. If I was to walk down my street today and they, would they think I live here? Would they be asking for ID? And if I reached in my pocket, would I get shot? It's a disappointing time. And, and for everything that, that we've seen and, and heard about everything in America, we need to realize that the social injustice and, and certain racism still happens over here. So I think it became a case of, yes, America has got the bigger problem because they have guns, but we need to work on ourselves as well. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I heard it over the weekend when I heard play fans were booing and stuff, and I just can't get my head around it. It really infuriates me, actually, because I don't understand the reason for them booing. You know, what would be their reason? And I would love to know if one of them wants to explain why they're booing, I don't know, because that is something that does infuriate me because I just think to myself, well, what is the benefit of that? Like we're trying, we've lived in a world where it's been overtaken by a lot of people that were not black, that were not from an ethnic minority for long enough. So at the same time, why is it a problem that we are now speaking out and we want equal opportunity for everybody, not just black people, not just white people, everybody. So when I hear the boos, I think to myself, I don't even think they know why they're booing. And I think the problem in football sometimes is very much sheep mentality. Someone might see someone doing something, then they follow. You know, I was at the Tottenham game last week and I heard some things that I didn't like. Might not have been racism, but it was absolutely horrific things towards Daniel Levy. You know, saying things about his family, things like that. I understand football is our religion, football is our passion, but I think some people take it to another level. Jordan Jarrett Bryan's a broadcaster for Talk Sport and Channel 4. I feel an annoyance and a frustration because it comes from people booing the knee, comes from a place of ignorance and I think willful ignorance. And that to me is not about a lack of education. That for me is about people with a mindset that deliberately want to continue um, a two-tier society, that deliberately don't want to share power, that deliberately don't want to um, have a changed world in which we can all have an opportunity of being successful and being happy. They are deliberately doing that. It makes me annoyed. It makes me realise, okay, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with. The way it makes me feel is, okay, I see you doing this. This is a deliberate act to, to stop progress. Cool. So you've shown your colours. So while it's frustrating for me, and it was frustrating for me to see, you've shown your colours. And once you've shown your colours, it makes it easier for someone like me to know how to deal with you. It's quite hurtful. I find it a little bit strange in terms of what well, if we're all trying to put in the same direction, then what, what are you booing it for? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not a political movement. We're doing it to show that Black Lives Matter and that we're all as one. So when I see football fans booing it, for me, I, I straight away, I think, again, ignorance. I think that they don't want change. I, I, listen, I'm not even saying that they're fully racist, but they're quite comfortable in the way that the world is at the minute and the way things are going. And that they're not quite happy about change. They, they, they would rather it stay the same. So disappointment is definitely one. It makes me feel a bit angry, but also a bit confused because I think... Certainly for, for for football clubs, we see black players now, they play for, a, the, the, I can't remember the, the percentages, but in terms of black players across the, the English game, there's a lot of them. Some that play for, the, we go back to the Millwall incident, there's a lot that play for Millwall. And the fact that you're doing that shows again that you've got black players in your team that were so divided. So kind of anyone who, who thinks that, yeah, like we're, we're almost there, we're, we're really making a like making change and they're completely wrong. I think I'm amused by the by the fact that I can't even understand or rationalize why you feel the need to boo someone because they are protesting something they are not saying you must join my protest you must listen to me 
they're not even saying you're wrong. They're just saying, I feel strongly about this. I feel passionately about this. And if you're insulted by someone using their, their human right to protest, then you need to be questioning yourself and maybe booing yourself more than you need to be booing them. What's happened during the lockdown is that the abuses that had been covered up by crowds when everyone was inside stadiums, it's flooding through the sewage that at times can be social media. So now that we're going back to the grounds and we're hearing fans booing, it doesn't surprise me. We've been, that booing is a manifestation of the banana and the monkey emojis that we've seen on social media. The people who say they're booing because it's a political gesture, as we've just said, are people who don't want to understand the history about it. They just want their right to be able to say, shut up and play. Up next on Talk Sport, how well is football coping trying to eradicate racism from the game? We're done now with 10 match bans, or I think we're done with poultry fines. I think we're done with, with slap on the wrists. And the reason the knee is being taken is because we are fed up with all of that. And we want things a little bit stronger, a little bit more meaningful. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. You're listening to 9 to 9, a special game day podcast. And a year on from the death of an unarmed black man, George Floyd, after a knee was pressed against his neck for 9 minutes and 29 seconds, I'm asking nine people with African and Caribbean heritage nine questions about where we are in sport and society 365 days after a murder which could change how we view the world. If I look at what happens to high-profile female footballers, high-profile coloured footballers and the abuse they take on social media. The Afro-Caribbean community is overrepresented versus the South Asian community. If you go to the IT department, to the FA, there's a lot more South Asians than there are Afro-Caribbeans. They have different career interests. Question six, how well is football dealing with its racism problem? Here are the views of sport journalist Natasha Henry. Is it dealing with them? I think we're no longer allowing it not to deal with them or to deal with them slowly as football has traditionally done. I think the whole taking the knee thing has maybe diverted the conversation away from what are we doing? But I think we have a really good opportunity now in the closed season for the authorities, the FA, um, 
the Premier League, the EFL to come together and create a a more cohesive plan for English football because that's the only football I can personally affect is English football. So they need to unite and come up with a good plan and they need to be stronger in their punishments. That's a big issue for me. I'm noticing a lot of the broadcasters are getting involved, but it needs to start at the heart of football and that starts with those that run it. Former Arsenal and Juventus striker Leanne Sanderson. I think that a lot of the times people just do things to tick a box and that's the problem for me I think everybody wants to speak out when it's the right time but I think there's a lot of people that have enabled racist behavior prejudice over the years and I think that's why we're seeing it come out now I see a lot of players you know tweeting posting the black boxes doing all that kind of stuff and I think to myself well where were you when I really needed you do you know what I mean? And I think sometimes people think it's just one of those things, oh, we're going to do it because everybody else is doing it. And I do think people can accept that they've taken responsibility. But I think people forget that four years ago, you know, our England manager actually said racist comments. I stood up for any stood up for any other Reluco and we were ostracized ever since. And there were teammates on that team that knew what he said and knew what he did. But because they wanted to continue to play for England, they didn't say anything. And that's something that's quite hard to to carry around. It really is, because I think to myself, and I have had players that have apologised to me, but it's almost like too little too late because I feel like speaking up, being honest, has almost cost me my England career. The former Spurs striker, Darren Bent. They could always do more. I think harsher punishments, 100%. I think sometimes in football, we're quite quick to hand out a punishment and then not think about the kind of repercussions after that. So it's all well and good handing out a a six-game ban or seven-game ban. But what, what does that really do? Like that doesn't really do anything. The education needs to come after it. I mean, I'd start handing out long, like lengthy bands in terms of yearly bands, if that's me. But that's maybe that's how I feel about it. But certainly they're trying to. Um, it's an uncomfortable. It's about having conversations. And of course, in football, it is quite an uncomfortable conversation to have. But I definitely think if they started putting the hammer down on some of these incidents where they really punish people, I'm telling you, that would start not stopping it, but that would certainly help. Even in terms of nations in football, UEFA, if they started throwing teams out of European competitions, world competitions... I guarantee you, all of a sudden, it would start to quieten up a little bit. I'm not saying it would stop, because I don't think it would ever stop, but I think it would start to help even more. Here's Kick It Out's Troy Townsend. Football's still got a long way to go, hasn't it? Are we any better off now than what we were back in the, the eras when black players were first coming to prominence, when you know our Cyril Regis's, our Viv Andersons were taking the stage and people were looking at them and thinking that they were something from another planet, you know? They weren't. They were just they're players with a different skin tone, different colour or through the mid-80s, early 90s, when there were more black players, which meant there were more people to target. I, I, I just feel that we're, we're severely lacking still in how we deal with it. You've only got to look look at what happened this weekend and you know the booing that there was around the taking of the knee, even on a special occasion like the FA Cup final. There was booing from both sets of supporters. You know, Whilst it has its sanctions and, and talks in a really great around this space is the actions behind the sanctions enough and I think we're we're done now with 10 match bans or I think we're done with poultry fines I think we're done with with slap on the wrists and the reason the knee is being taken is because we are fed up with all of that and we want something a little we want things a little bit stronger a little bit more meaningful football cannot you know walk around and say it's proactively doing everything he can to eliminate racism from our game because there's so much more that it can do. Darren Lewis is the Mirror newspaper's assistant editor. It likes to think it's dealing with them well, but I don't think it is. No, I don't think it is. It isn't. I think if you look at Jonathan Lecco, who, after Anton Ferdinand, a player who promised 
not to go to the authorities if he has a problem again because of the length of time it took for it to be resolved. I think he waited something like five months and the fact that he was made to feel like the victim after another player had called him the N-word. And again, we have no black people in power. I don't want to be be too nuanced about it because it's very simple. We have so few black people in power that there's not enough of an understanding of what black players are going through. And it's quite remarkable that we should get to a year on since George Floyd, a year on since Raheem Sterling said, look, I look at the top of the game, I don't see any black people that, I don't see anybody at the top of the game who represents me. And a year on, that still isn't resolved. The other thing is, I was quite fascinated, and I mentioned this at the time, at the energy towards UEFA, the energy towards the social media companies. But there's a real hypocrisy about the lack of energy towards the authorities in this country in terms of doing something to address the racism crisis. The lower profile clubs get hammered, the higher profile clubs get a pass. The higher profile players have more wriggle room than the lower profile players. Football has a huge crisis and I don't think it's necessarily got better at dealing with it. I think it's got better at hiding it. A lot of people kind of use this analogy to about Black Lives Matter as a movement. It's not a, it's not a movement. When you're black, it's not a movement. It's, it's a lifestyle. <laughs> we, we sit here and say it's a movement and okay, how long is this movement gonna last? Don't stop the movement. No, this is a walk of life. When you wake up and you black, you that is what it is. You said from the beginning you had seven matches, seven masks, seven names. What was the message you wanted to send, Naomi? Um, well, what was the message that you got was more the question. I feel like the point is to make people start talking. There's people that have been killed on the street and there's someone who got killed in their, in their own house and they're in the wrong house and those guys are still walking free and we can't rest. Question seven. What are your views on the protests we've seen in other sports away from football around the world? Jordan Jarrett Bryan's a broadcaster for Talk Sport and Channel 4. I think that those are sports where we see significantly less black people <laughs> taking part in the sports than other, other races and other, other people from other minorities. And I commend Naomi and Lewis because it must be so, so hard being the only person on tour or the only person on the grid that feels this pain and wants to do their bit to show that they are not accepting it anymore and they are trying to be a beacon in in this fight and yet you're just surrounded by people who are not in agreement those people are fighting as equal a big fight as we are in football they're just doing it on their own at least in football we have so many more black people and black figures and and black people within the organizations um media organizations but if you look at other sports you look at their media outlets how many black how many humans and crops are there in tennis are there in cricket uh, there's not many so they are not only fighting the fight in solidarity on the grid <laughs> or on the court they're also doing it from an organizational point of view and a media point of view as well so i commend them and i think that football needs to maybe look at how or footballers how they can help other sports and other people that maybe are in the minority to really bring them into the fold so that we can all become a, you know it's a fight across sport rather than a fight across football and tennis 
and and F1. But I commend them to the max. What did Anne-Marie Batson think? Coco got speaking at a rally, what was she then, 16, 17? And what I loved about her is the black squares. Remember they had the black squares on social media and Roger Federer had posted a black square on his social media channels. And then she underneath posted all the links for him to read about anti-black racism, racial equality, and so on and so forth, which I thought was very brave and a brilliant move by her. You're starting to see that more in tennis. Serena Williams, of course, drawing attention to the issue. Naomi Osaka's attention to the issue. You know, tennis, it was a big move for the uh, Western and Southern Open to pause for a day in its schedule when Naomi Osaka chose to withdraw from that tournament after the shooting. And that was huge for tennis. That really sent shockwaves around the game for tennis to do that. As for F1, I don't want Lewis, Sir Lewis Hamilton to be the only voice speaking out. There are a couple of others. It looks disjointed to me sometimes when they're taking the knee um, before the national anthem where you see some of the drivers still standing and others kneeling. They're not all coming together, I think, in that way. They've all got their different opinions, of course, but remember why the knee is taken in the first place. It's not seen as, as a political act. It came about because it was about opposing racial inequality and asking for racial justice. That's what taking the knee is all about. I always feel like in American sports, when they protest, they protest proper. Like they, they do it properly where they really try and force change. Like if, if, the, if the high profile players over there, like you LeBron James's or, you know, people in the baseball world and the NBA world, uh, NFL world, people like that, when they all start to unite, they can force change. And it always seems to have a, a really big, strong impact over in the States. Over with a Formula One, it didn't really surprise me the fact that they were all over the place. Like Lewis Hamilton obviously took the knee, some did, some didn't. But we're dealing with a sport that's had his own issues, certainly racism issues within it. So it it didn't really surprise me. And, so, and even when the owner came out and said what he said, like again, it didn't really surprise me. So the fact that Lewis Hamilton is obviously kind of, I felt like at times it was him kind of fighting it the battle on his own in a sport that probably needed it more than any other. So the fact that way that they did it. It didn't really surprise me. It was, again, it was disappointing. The tennis, a little bit disappointing as well, especially when you've got such pioneers. You look at, as you said, there are Saka, Venus, Serena Williams. Serena, arguably the greatest female tennis player of all time. Like what they're up against. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it is tough. But as I said, again, it shows how, divi how divided we really are. Because when there's an opportunity for us all to stand together, some people choose not to. Certainly in America, they did a superb job of basically using their platforms and using their voices. Naomi in particular, Every day she wore masks with the names of the people who'd been killed by police and, and she was dignified and she was prepared to risk her space. She was prepared to use her voice. Lewis Hamilton, likewise, prepared to use his voice, prepared to cause controversy, prepared to muddy the waters. And, and a litany of sports stars in America were prepared to do a very similar thing. All of them realising that this mattered to them. You know, these are guys who know that on any given day, they could be George Floyd. If you go to America, on any given day, you could be George Floyd. You're listening to Nine to Nine, a special game day podcast. Up next, can social media blackouts help? And where are we heading in the fight against social injustice? I want to give you an answer about what it will look like 10 years, but the truth is I don't want to wait 10 years. I want to change it now. It's our job to change it now. One day when the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be ours. Oh, one 
listening to Nine to Nine, a special game day podcast, a year on from the murder of George Floyd. What, if anything, has changed? And what does it tell us about where we are as a society? This is Nine to Nine. The death of George Floyd last year sparked a so-called racial reckoning and protests across the country and world. Now the first prosecution in connection with Floyd's death. The trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin is about to get underway. The hearing here in Minneapolis is set to be one of the most divisive in the American justice system. For many, justice itself is on trial. On May 25th of 2020, Mr. Derek Chauvin betrayed this badge. You will learn that he was well aware that Mr. Floyd was unarmed, that Mr. Floyd had not threatened anyone. You will learn what happened in that nine minutes and 29 seconds, the most important numbers you were here in this trial at 929. Question eight. What effect will social media boycotts and blackouts have? Former Aston Villa defender Curtis Davis had this to say. I personally think um, doesn't work. Doesn't work at all. I played my part. I wanted to support the cause. Did I ever think it was going to work? No. You know, you're not on social media for a weekend and then um, come back to Monday. It's, an, it's another working day. And those people that want to say those things are going to say those things. They're not affected by the fact you weren't on the weekend. If anything, probably gives them more ammunition to think that I thinks he's had a, a weekend off of it. For me, the, the blackout side of it is, isn't good. Um, even, I haven't even told my wife or told him, but even me the other day, I was on Sky and I said a comment about a Barnsley and I got, I got, I got racially abused by a, by a Barnsley fan. I reported the tweet. I did, didn't bother going that far, but I reported the tweet to Twitter and um, it said that the tweet didn't break their guidelines. So that's where we're at. Um, I wasn't interested in making a big noise of it. I, I don't want to be a victim and have my name scrolling across the bottom of the sky saying, oh, well, Curtis Davis is the latest one to to be racially abused. Because I'm I'm actually bored of it. I'm, I'm always in anticipation of the next person to be racially abused. I reported a tweet which clearly called me a black something. And the fact that within an hour, I got a response from... I don't know if it's a robot, I don't know what it is, but it didn't break their protocols. Um, sort of sums up where we're at. So until those social media giants start taking stronger action, um, then, then nothing's going to move forward. Here's the former Aston Villa and Sunderland striker, Darren Bent. Premier League football clubs and people in this country, I don't even know what percent it would be, maybe 1% of their, their followers are there who use their platform. So that 1%, yeah, it feels like in this country it's working, but across the board, it's quite minimal. So the fact that they did it, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for it. But will it really affect change? Well, it, clearly it hasn't done really that much because I'm still seeing footballers all the time putting stuff on their social media. I saw Ivan Tony again. He was getting it. Do you know what I mean? So it's, a, it's an every every week occurrence. And when a black person makes a mistake in a game, they might miss a chance or their team loses. You know exactly what's coming. You know what's going to be said that evening. So, yeah, I'm all for it. And at least they're, they're being seen to do something and change something. But in the long run, do I think it will make a massive difference? Unfortunately, I don't. Here are the views of the former England striker, Leanne Sanderson. I don't know if it's actually worked because at the same time, people are still being racially abused. And if you stop going on social media for four days, it's not all of a sudden going to eradicate racism. But hopefully it will make a change. So I do believe there'll be more boycotts in the future. But I do believe that we have to speak about it. I don't think I believe in going quiet. I think I believe in, you know, speaking out and us just kind of continuing the conversations. But one thing I will say is that since it happened, I've had less abuse, whether that's to do with the boycott 
whether that's to do with, I think the adverts that have been on the TV during that weekend, I don't know if you saw them, there was a lot of adverts during that weekend saying, you know, how much your words hurt us. And I think that has had a massive impact because I've had less abuse in the last three, four weeks, which I'm not quite sure it's down to the boycott, but for some reason people realize that we are human beings and we do have a heart and we do feel things. And I think that's the stuff that people need to see. As tragic as these past few weeks have been, as difficult and scary and uncertain as they've been. They've also been an incredible opportunity for people to be awakened. I want you to know that you matter. I want you to know that your lives matter, that your dreams matter. Question nine, 10 years on from George Floyd's death, where will we be in the fight against anti-black racism and social injustice? I want to give you an answer about what it will look like 10 years, but the truth is I don't want to wait 10 years. I want to change it now. It's our job to change it now. It's your job to change it now. It's my job to change it now. If we look 10, 10 years down the line, then we give up. But I've got kids. I'm sure lots of people listening to this have got kids. And I'm sure that they want to change things now so that those kids can grow up not having division between themselves and their friends that they're at school with. Them, or you know, those people themselves might not want division between themselves and their workmates. Their, their colleagues, let's change it now. Let's not. I, I I always hate when people say things won't change in my generation. They can if you use your voice and if you use your power to change it. And if you got angry and did something about the Super League, you can do something about racism. If you got angry about social media, you can do something about racism. So I, I can't really give you the answer that you might be looking for with that because I'm not prepared to wait ten years. I'm prepared if I say something on TalkSport, they want to sack me, that's okay. But I will always say, as you know, I will always use the platform to say what I need to say. Because I think there is no point in us complaining about the FA, about UEFA, about other people if we're not prepared to do something and to risk our own space ourselves. Troy Townsend is head of development at Kick It Out. I'm a man that doesn't like to look into the future too far because it gives me nightmares, to be totally honest. But there's where I'd think we would be and where I'd like us to be. I'd like us to be where we're not having these conversations anymore. Or maybe we're just reflective on how change has happened over that period of time and the people that have contributed to that change and how we've influenced and empowered generations way after I'm gone and I'm older than you you so I, I can say that to the point where you know they're living and, and breathing in a society that accepts them just for who they are not based on the color of their skin not based on any particular characteristic but just for who they are but if you took me back 10 years before uh, George Floyd I'd be I'd said I would have said that about 2020 and 2021 you know, so my hope is that those the changes that have been at Snail's pace, by the way, continue to be spoken about in the immediate future so that in the long term, we are seeing an equal space for everyone to be able to live. I want my grandchildren and my children as they continue to grow to not have to experience the things that we've had to experience. You know, they've they've witnessed some stuff now, obviously, but it's our next generation that could be the point of the change that we need. But I'll say this, that if we can't change our power circles, don't expect anything to change. If our power circles are not more representative, 
then expect to have this different conversation, but with different people in 10 years' time. The former England striker, Emil Heskey. I would like to think we've, we're, we're tackling it head on, but history and what we all know, we'll probably be still in the same point as we are now. I just don't think we. I just don't think we we're, we're ready to move on. I just don't think as a nation we're ready to move on. We 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 hold up procedures that we know um, should be dealing with certain matters. We hold it up when you know that things are wrong, and when it comes to race and racism. It seems like everything's at the bottom of the pile. Sport journalist and broadcaster Amory Batson's thoughts. I would actually say I wouldn't want to be having this conversation in in ten years' time. Why why wait for ten years for hopefully for the the situation to go away or for things to change. It, you know, people are getting tired of the same conversation and not seeing change. I'd like to think in 10 years time, we will look back on this period and say, this was, this was drawing in the line in the sand period of our lives. And I think if we're having this conversation in 10 years time, we would have failed. No, come on. That is <laughs> anyway. Listen, you look about how long this has been getting on for. My dad used to tell me stories about when he was a kid. My grandfather used to tell me stories about when he was a, a little boy and he first came over from Jamaica to this country. Um, of course, it's not going to change. I mean, you, you, you're going back to years and decades upon decades, and things have got any better. You, 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 listen, they might have got a slightly bit better in terms of people reporting it. We're talking about it. There are more people willing to have these conversations. But do I think ten years, as you said, that social injustice and and social bias things that will will ever kind of eradicate no i do not absolutely not it may i don't even think in the next 50 years we'll see that it would have it would have changed that much i really hope we're working towards something i say we've got different perspectives in in the uk and in in america but i'd like to think that this year hasn't been a year of tokenism where Everyone's supporting the cause because it's the trend, um, and that everyone continues to to call it out when it's when it's there to be seen. You know, like I say, black people, white people, whoever it is, that we collectively stick together and make sure that we're fighting it. But like I say, from from the year that's gone by, do I see it being that much different in ten years? I'm I'm not too confident, and that's sad to say. Really like to to hope that things do move on. And and we start to, like I say, see a bit more of a level playing field across the world. But I think it's going to take a lot longer than 10 years and, and a lot worse incidents to happen for for people to, to stand up and, um, and, and start fighting for it all the way through, year in, year out, rather than when it's on trend. Members of the jury, I will now read the verdicts as they will appear in the permanent records of the 4th Judicial District. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count one, unintentional second-degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. Third-degree murder, perpetrating an eminently dangerous act, find the defendant guilty. Second-degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk, find the defendant guilty. My family is a family that will not back down from prayer. And I believe because of prayer, we got the verdict we wanted. Amen. Amen. But we asked the right person, we asked the right one. We said, God, we need justice. We need it now. And he answered. Now the war is not over. Victory isn't won. But we'll fight on to the finish. And then when it's all done, we'll cry glory. Oh, glory. Oh, we'll cry glory. Oh, 
I'm Hugh Wilson-Croft and thank you for listening to 9 to 9, our special game day football podcast, uh, marking the one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.